Magazines and Monsters, Episode 43, World's Finest, number 244, from 1977. Hey, everybody. Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange, back with another episode of the show. So I've been looking forward to this one for a while now. Uh, I've got a new guest on the show. So please welcome Ranger Gord from the Prairie Justice Podcast. How are you, buddy? Well, howdy, Billy. Welcome from the Windy North. <laughs> yeah, when you say north, you really mean north. <laughs> yeah, take a look to the far west of your map and then look north of there, and that's where I am. I'm just north of Montana in the southern part of the province of Alberta in Canada. Yeah, so it's been a rainy, blustery day here, but I think by tomorrow it's supposed to calm down. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't mind a little bit of wind, but rain and wind is like, no, thank you. That's not my thing. <laughs> well, here when the blizzards stop, we get wind until the heat wave starts. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like you get four seasons anymore. It's like you get two seasons, hot or snow, you know, snow or sun. That's it. We always laugh that uh, Canada is two months of bad skating. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding, right? <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. But uh, yeah, so you and I are going to be talking about an issue of World's Finest, but specifically a story in there starring the vigilante. And that's somebody that I don't know a ton about. But I know you do because your podcast is centered around him, and I've been loving listening to it. And one of the things about your podcast that's very unique is, you know, you absolutely do something way different than a lot of other podcasters do, where you almost present uh, the stories uh, as radio dramas sometimes. And I really enjoy that because that's very, very different and unique. Well, it's something that's very indicative to the 1940s, which is the era that I'm currently portraying and will be for a while until I get out of that. But, you know, radio was the big entertainment of that time. And I find that the, uh, the best golden age stories are trying to follow a bit of a radio script. There's always a inbox narrator that's trying to, to move the story along. And then you have a very minimal amount of characters that are, uh, that are carrying forth such as you know i would have vigilante stuff or billy gunn and then the villains and maybe a supporting character but most of the rest are side characters which is very close to what radio did as well because you know they've only got so many people to do a, a radio drama so that's the way i decided to approach it it's a little bit more work because i've got to put uh you know, a little bit something to fill in the gaps like music or uh, sound effects, that sort of a thing, which mm -hmm. is why it takes me a little bit longer to put things out. But I thought it was the most respectful way to do uh, this kind of a thing because I'm a terrible critic. You know, I open a comic, everything I love, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be a gush fest. I want people to, you know, kind of carry on and be able to hear the entire story. And let's face it, most of your Golden Age stories are formulaic. You know, you just change characters, that sort of a time. So just saying, well, Vidge and stuff met a bad guy and they had a fight and that's the end of the story here in eight pages. Well, that, that podcast would get very old very fast. So I tried to put that little bit of a personal touch. I'm a bit of a mimic. I've always been uh, credited as that. So, you know, I take my time and figure out how I want to do the voices and sometimes I will, you know, borrow a voice from a movie star or something like that. For instance, I have the Rainbow Man coming up for his third appearance. Well, mm. he's constantly Vincent Price in my head. <laughs> yeah, oh, one of my so favorites of all time. So yeah, that, that, that's basically a vigilante is somebody I first met when I was about nine years old in Justice League of America 100. And that, uh, as you probably know, is one of the classic JLA JSA team ups, the classic 10th. Mm. And it's where the JLA and JSA met the seven soldiers of victory. Mm -hmm. and being nine years old, I had already seen a JLA JSA team up. So the Earth 2 concept was already very much in my head. And I met a lot of other characters in that story, too. For instance, I had never heard of Elongated Man. I had never heard of Metamorpho or Adam Strange. I'd never heard of the original Sandman. You know, so that comic really launched me into uh, 
a career of problems reading graphic literature, you know. (laughs) (laughs) As I look at that and I don't even want to think about how old that comic is, I still have it in my house. I don't have a lot of comics from when I was a kid, but that one for some reason has sustained. And uh, Vigilante was somebody that just looked at me and just said, you know what, this is your hero. This is the guy you're going to like. I'd always loved Western characters, you know, being from where I am. I'm from ranch country, cowboy country, and here in southern Alberta. So the Lone Ranger and the Two-Gun Kid and all of those Western-type characters always spoke to me. But here was one that was in the modern era, quote-unquote, because uh, at this point in time, Vigilante was also getting a some love in adventure comics as a regular feature. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, he would first appear with Superman as an anchor character in a world's finest team up that didn't, that only barely had Batman in it. So Supes and Vidge shared the cover and that was a great story. And now here he is back uh, with a regular feature in 1977. Yeah. And I really, I came into the character very late. Honestly, I'm racking my brains and I can't think of a time that I saw now, granted I was, almost a strictly Marvel reader for probably about 20 years. Uh, But I can't rack my brain anymore and think that the first time I ever saw the character that I can think of was on the animated television show, that Justice League show uh, that came out around 2000, somewhere around there. Voiced by Nathan Fillion, who, by the Mm -hmm. way, is from Edmonton, Alberta. Oh, wow. That's really cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. And no, we don't know each other. Not all Canadians know each other. So. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, and I loved how he was portrayed on that show. I don't know if, you know, longtime comic book fans of his liked how he was portrayed on that show, but I really liked how he was portrayed on the show. I thought it was perfect. On one of the shows, he uh, drives his motorcycle into a, a parade float or, in, oh, into the Shaggy Man and explodes it. And that mm-hmm. was a vigil trick. He just loved to do stunts with that uh, that bike. And in this very uh, world's finest run that uh, is beginning at this issue, there is a story where he uh, he basically shows that he has constantly has plastic explosives set up on a switch under the gas tank of his motorbike, just in case he gets into a, a situation. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, well, so yeah, we're going to, you said world's finest. We're going to be talking about issue number 244, which uh, is a really good comic. It's one of the dollar comics. So it's like big, oversized, 80 pages, I think, of, you know, content. And you get, I think there's at least five stories in there. You know, uh, Superman, Batman, Black Canary, Wonder Woman, uh, Green Arrow. Trying to think who else we get in there. I think that might be it. But yeah, it's a, it's a really good comic. But all of them are brand new material. And mm-hmm. they've got some of the best artists. I won't say Vidge has the best artists. Anyway, it's given away to our critique. But Green Arrow and Black Canary have Mike Nasser, now known as Mike Netzer. And he mm-hmm. was Neil Adams of his day. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe uh, we have a Joe, Jose Garcia Lopez uh, mm-hmm. name that you mm-hmm. have to podcast. And uh, we have the Wonder Woman, which is the Linda Carter Wonder Woman in the Earth 2 World War II era, because mm-hmm. they were trying to align that with the TV show where that was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a great comic. And it, it all starts off with, you know, a beautiful Neil Adams cover. And, you know, as of this recording, it was just, you know, a few days ago where Neil had passed away. And um, again, he's leaving some big shoes to fill in comics. You know what I mean? I don't, that'll probably never be filled, but it's a really, really good cover. I mean, you have uh, in the center of things, Superman and Batman, of course, because it's uh, a world's finest, but up on the left-hand corner and right-hand corner, you have the supporting characters for the, you know, supporting stories as well. Like I said, Wonder Woman, Black Canary, Green Arrow, and Vigilante, you know, with his trademark uh, scarf there over his face. Uh, What do you think of this cover? Well, this is the first of the dollar comics. I think this was the first of the two. Uh, Superman family also went to dollar comic format at this point in time. I don't know which one hit the stands first. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, it's funny, you know, with the, as we're recording this, of course, Neil has just passed. And 
one of the first things that I said to myself um, when I heard the news was covers. Um, I can remember Neil was DC's go-to cover guy when he first went to that company, uh, mm-hmm. starting around 1968. And there was something about his covers. They could put him on the most throwaway comic you could possibly think of. But that cover would also have such magazine and illustrative type realism to it that it would make you stand up and pay attention. And for an audience and a society that was changing so much there in the late 60s, not only with uh, comics and the Bronze Age, but also pop culture and politics and culture in general, you know, Neil brought that new gravitas that basically said, hey, Mort Weisinger has retired. He's gone. He's left the building. Uh, pay attention to these comics because these are not your your father's Buick comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not for kids anymore. That's for sure. When, you know, him and Denny started doing things, it was definitely a, you know, a shift to, you know, trying to get some more mature readers in there, which was great. But yeah, this is a, this is like we said, this is a good one. World's finest 244 from April, May, 1977 cover date. And then like we said, Neil Adams is the, uh, the uh, pencils, inks and colors on this cover. And it's just absolutely a, a really stunning cover. Love it. But uh, like I said, we're going to be talking specifically about the story in here, the backup story in here, starring the vigilante. And that one is called, uh, go ahead. Oh, yippee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that one's called explosion in a small town. And uh, there's some interesting uh, credits here for this one. So it's script Bill Kunkel. And then I did not know that name. And I, when I looked him up, I thought, Oh, I'm sure I've read something of his before, but that was an interesting guy. Like I didn't, He's not, you know, your regular everyday comics guy. You don't, he doesn't have a, a huge uh, list of comics that he wrote, but he was into a lot of other things. And I read that, you know, uh, a, he was like a professional wrestling and video game journalist and critic from the 70s. You know, and he was kind of like a pioneer in that field. And that was really cool. I didn't know that because, like I said, his name was like, oh, Bill Kunkel. I don't know that guy. But when it listed his credits, I thought, oh, I definitely have read more than just this story of his. But, Definitely not a, a an everyday, you know, comic book reader that was collecting checks from comics for a long time. No, he's not. You know, you when you first saw the name, and of course, I didn't recognize it either for the longest time. I I certainly didn't recognize it as a kid. And I had to do some, you know, after you approached me to do this show, I had to do some research myself. And you're right, he's only got maybe five years of comic book credits, and it's a very thin list. Mm-hmm. And did you happen to know what his very last com notice what his very last comic book credit was in 1981? You know, I didn't see it as like a, an issue by issue type thing. I just saw he did a couple of Marvel team ups. So I thought I have a ton of those. So I know he did. I had to have read some of those and then also some Harvey comics, but I didn't see the list of which specific his, one. I'm, I'm asking you this specifically because his very last credit is 1981 in June. Doctor Strange, number 46. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's interesting. thought that might get your attention. Yeah, very interesting. I'll have to check that out. Because um, that's the, the, the series. Yeah, the back theater. Yeah, the series that came out from like 1974 to 1985, six, somewhere in there. That's my favorite Doctor Strange series. I love that one. I It was the first... Uh, longer series I collected the entire series of. That was the first one because he was my favorite favorite guy, for sure, my favorite character. But what Kunkel moved on to um, as uh, in 1981 was a whole new industry. And he became known as the grandfather of video game journalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wild because I didn't I didn't think about any of that stuff. Like I played video games when I was a, a small kid, but they weren't the, you know, empire that they are now. It was very much like, you know, a, a couple of little companies trying to grab kids attention with it. But once it exploded, it really did. But yeah, that was really cool to read about. Yeah, I'm I'm certain there was a lot of journalism and I certainly, you know, see saw those magazines on the stands, but uh, I was never a video game enthusiast. So I certainly never read any video game journalism. 
but you know, I do, you know, as a writer myself, I do respect, uh, you know, any writing that anyone does. And it's good to, you know, that Bill went and found his niche and I'm sorry he didn't do more comics work, but, mm -hmm. uh, you move on and you find other niches. Yep. And then, yeah, the artwork was John Calden and penciler and Bob Smith inker and John Calden. I have seen that name in some of DC's horror anthologies uh, before I recognized him. And then Bob Smith, I think he may have inked uh, some of the issues to that uh, Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan uh, horror series that they did in the mid eighties with DC there. I'm blanking on the name of it though, but it was like a 15 issue series night force. I think he may have inked some of Gene Colan on night force. I don't have the Bob Smith list in front of me, but I remember looking at it and he had a, something like 1800 credits. Yeah. yeah he was a, a busy guy. A lot of Archie, an awful lot of Archie. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, that was, that's definitely a blue chip industry to be in. You know, it's a, uh, there's no end to Archie and, and John Kellman seemed to be a utility artist. Uh, yeah. Your friends, he started with war comics, uh, things like Captain Storm and our fighting forces, but did a lot of horror and then seemed to be a, a bit of a utility artist kicking around, uh, doing a lot of things like ghosts and the unexpected, uh, a world's finest here, world's finest there, brave and bold here. Mm -hmm. and I think he did a lot, some brave and bolds back in the era before apparel came along, uh, you know, back when that was, uh, first becoming a batman anchored title but they hadn't yeah. yet been a regular artist before 100 and then he gets into an awful lot of uh batman stories superman that sort of thing he's detective comics he's just kind of a utility guy and you know this is just one of those more where he just sort of the guy i guess he just uh waited for an assignment and took it and professionally got it completed yeah, like kind of like a journeyman, you know, like one of those, you know, steady workers that never had any really long runs on any specific comics that, you know, gave him any kind of notoriety or anything. But yeah, just a, a steady worker. But yeah, I did. I definitely recognize those two guys. Uh, Kunkel was the anomaly there for me. And then Letters are Ben Oda, which he, yeah, I've seen that name a hundred million times in comics, too. He, he lettered a lot of DC comics as well. But uh, OK, so. We're going to get right into this one. So this story, like I said, explosion in a small town. It's a very straightforward story, but there are, you know, some things to dissect here. So I'm just going to, you know, right here on, you know, comics.org. It's just, you know, there's a, a synopsis and it's one line and it says the vigilante stops in a small town and helps a sheriff find out who is planting bombs around town. And that kind of is what it's all about. But like I said, there's, there's a bit more to unpack than that. So, why don't we start off with that very first uh, splash page there? What did you think of that one, you know, as far as the art and, you know, as far as some, some of the action and dialogue? I see that this is not your typical splash page. Uh, we start as uh, on, a, on a street in a busy sm small town uh, called Clearwater. And Clearwater could be any town in the West. I'm sitting in Clearwater right now as we speak. Uh, mm -hmm. It looks like a... You know, not so much a sleepy town, but there's shops going on and there's a young lady has just come out of a dress shop uh, and, and she's looking very 1970s blue jeans and top, that sort of a thing. So you're not having the, the stereotypical woman in a dress kind of a thing. And I really kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And she's a package out of the Lane's dress shop. So she's just done some shopping and um, all of a sudden something goes wrong. And fortunately, Vigilante just happens to be driving through town that day. Mm -hmm. I guess he's a Slurpee or something. <laughs> and manages yeah. to catch her uh, from this explosion. And of course, right across the uh, the handlebars of his motorbike. And he literally <laughs> says, what a reception. Going to have to move my tail if I'm going to save the little lady. <laughs> and I love to. What a great touch by... Uh the art team here where you know the explosion happens behind her and kind of hurls her up in the air and the box with the you know clothes or dress or whatever in it that she just bought at the shop on the one side says you know lanes or whatever when the explosion happens it kind of flips around and on the other side of the box in the red letters explosion in a small town exclamation point i love that 
So Greg is definitely in the right place at the right time. And I, I love how he's, uh, you know, Greg Saunders, country singer, is is riding through in his superhero identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yep. uh, he... Patrol in any small town that you happen to be in. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, hands the lady over to a guy that says, you know, he's Tom Blaine and he's the sheriff. And he goes to introduce himself and the sheriff's like, the vigilante, everybody knows that, <laughs> as if he's pretty well known. I enjoy that quite a bit, too. That's a holdover from uh, the Weisinger and Mort and Meskin era, too. Everybody always knows the vigilante, especially in the West, especially in small towns. Whenever he rides in, you know, that's when the, the brass bands come out. And, Yay, vigilante. You know. <laughs> yeah. East can have super guy. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's only an eight pager. So, I mean, you know, Kunkel really has to get right to work here. And as uh, the sheriff and vigilante are uh, shaking hands, you see a couple of people in the background with these uh, scowls on their face. And, uh, you know, there's you can see there's trouble with the townspeople and the sheriff right away. And <laughs> he says uh, he says the vigilante, look, friend, I'm not too popular in Clearwater right now. And He's like, let's adjourn to your office then. I'm a great listener. And he goes back and uh, listens to uh, the sheriff's story, which is very interesting because I feel like in some ways this story kind of mirrors, you know, golden age comics a little bit. But then when he gets to talk to the uh, the new sheriff in town here, uh, Blaine, he you know, we we get a touch of that, you know, uh, Bronze Age in here as well. So I think it's a pretty good mix. What do you think? Yeah, we get uh, Tom Blaine. It's very interesting. Thing. Sheriff Tom Blaine is a newly elected sheriff. And I mm-hmm. think Vidge takes liking to him because his own father was a sheriff and his name was Tom Saunders. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right now there's that little bit of uh, instant recognition between the two of them. And, you know, Tom Blaine has a bit of a problem. Um, he has left town and... Uh, you can bet in about 1968, he was that drug-smoking hippie that wanted to blow this small town and go to hate ashbury or Berkeley or wherever, <laughs> uh, perhaps uh, Greenwich Village. Perhaps he's, you know, he, you know, he maybe uh, had a bong with Doctor Strange and Wong from time to time. <laughs> but <laughs> but he's back home, you know. He's uh, he's mm-hmm. turned thirty or so and realized that uh, you know. The city wasn't all cut up to, to be, and maybe he'd like to go back and do some civic duty back in his home. You know, so he has had that recognition, and it seems uh, not not to uh, break too far into it, but not everybody trusts him. They realize his uh, they realize his background, and right now um, he's standing around with a number of people that would be singing Oki from Muskogee. And not happy with this, uh, suddenly this drug-smoking radical that's come back east and tried to be the sheriff again. So you have yeah. to wonder on the election. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you see how sometimes in comic books in the Bronze Age, you know, they really try to force their hand with some issues of the time and some ways of, you know, thinking that were changing. But I think this was... a I don't want to say it was subtle, but it definitely wasn't, you know, uh, something they really, you know, shoved down your throat here with this idea of the sheriff. But, you know, try to get you to think like, hey, just because, you know, this guy when he was a teenager may have done this or that, you know, he's, he's a grown man now and he's willing to put the work in and do a good job here and try to be, you know, a sheriff and you know, help out the town that he grew up in, you know, coming back to, you know, do something that's good for the whole town and, you know. It, there's that angle to it, but then there's also these uh, bombs that keep going off around town that, you know, it's going to be tough for him, a young guy new to the job, to figure out on his own. And he's basically got a lot of the, I shouldn't say a lot, but a, a certain faction of the townsfolk and a, a, maybe a business person that's against him. Well, and there's the suspicion and then there's these solitudes that are always in these towns. And this is really coming home to me. Um given the couple of years that we have just been through, mm-hmm. um, you know, here in the West, there's all been a lot of division about, you know, COVID conspiracy theories, masks, vaccinations. And I live in a very, I shall we say, I, I'm not going to say conservative. Yeah, it is conservative, 
and but also I have a lot of religious majorities around me as well. And it's, you know, it's not been a great time the last year or so. If you were, you know, on the wrong side of that solitude, which <laughs> I was for a little bit, at least as far as this town was concerned. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you want to respect that sanity, that sort of thing. And you want to respect other people's rights to votes and other people's opinions as well. But sometimes uh, when it comes down to an emergency situation, you find out who people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why well, I, I do like how it seems like Vidge really uh, takes a liking to this guy and, you know, uh, sympathy for his situation and right away steps up and is like, you know, hey, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to try to help you out here and see what uh, see what I can do here, because he realizes the guy's in a tough spot where, you know, he's basically alone in this town in trying to, you know, do a good job and set some things right. But, you know, we have a, a van load of these uh, miscreants here with uh, <laughs> Piper Construction and his boys here with these uh, cases of dynamite that don't want to let him settle in and, you know, just start turning things around in the town. And one thing that you will realize in small towns is there are people that like to play with dangerous things. Mm-hmm. Uh I myself am a cannon enthusiast, you know, mm-hmm. so this come into it and um, I have initiated thousands of explosions on purpose. So <laughs> I, I know a little bit about what I'm talking about on this. So Yeah, and I love to, every time in this story we see, you know, a close-up or vigilante on his motorcycle, I really like those those scenes. I mean, there's one where he's putting his, you know, hat back on and pulling it down and jumps on his bike and vroom, it says underneath him and he takes off. I really like that. I do also like uh, how we've talked about where the other explosions are, the pharmacy, the pool. And when I was uh, just kind of rereading this this morning, all of a sudden I thought about that movie, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. And uh, where do explosions take place in that show? Pharmacy and the pool. And we have Tommy Lee Jones as a sheriff investigating those things, those, uh, those, those uh, instances. <laughs> yeah, interesting, isn't it? That's maybe he was reading this comic. <laughs> Whoever <laughs> wrote that movie, <laughs> Earthy, yeah. Mm. And then I like so the scene ep- there. Yeah, go ahead. Down to Piper, and we find out that Piper is his political enemy. Like they mm-hmm. both ran, and uh, Piper looks like uh, the boss hog, the the, the typical nineteen <laughs> seventies sheriff you'd get on bj and the bear or mm-hmm. or any show or canon where where the protagonist comes into a small town and this is usually the sheriff the, the guy with the big belly and the and the cigar mm-hmm. uh, piper uh seems to be a uh, a bit of a developer as well and that's a thing in small towns and definitely in the 1970s because you had a little bit of urban renewal coming to towns as well mm-hmm. as they were to grow, you know, as uh, agriculture started to uh, be, become more viable and as uh, you get a lot of mining and resources from oil and that sort of a thing, a lot of towns grew quickly in the 1970s. So you would get all of these different housing developments and there would be, you know, these these characters who have their fingers in a lot of pies. And it's, uh, you know, clear why a housing developer would also want to be a sheriff as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, it sounds like they're going to take some of this dynamite to, uh, I'm thinking, is it a rival construction company's housing development? Because that's what the guys say. It's some new housing development, Clearwater Estates, that they're taking the dynamite to. So I thought, okay. And then, you know, Vidge is, uh, he's up in the... Uh, wooded area and he's got some binoculars and he's watching all this go down and he must be able to read lips then too because he doesn't get close enough to hear i don't think but he sees uh our, our boy boss hog here mr piper talking to one of his minions about how it's going to go down on friday night and then we see again vigilante jump on his bike and zoom and he goes flying and there's some speed lines there like he's really cooking good on his bike i love that song bit of sabotage <laughs> yeah and then uh, he goes and tells his buddy, the sheriff, he's like, hey, this is what's going down the following morning. And he says, Piper, sure, I know him. He was sheriff here going on 20 years when I beat him. Now he runs the biggest construction outfit in the area. And 
<laughs> I like Vigilante points at him and says, tell me everything you know about this dude. <laughs> I love that dialogue. So there's definitely some discrediting going on. Like there's never bad feelings after an, after an election, is there? Right. <laughs> never. <laughs> oh, man. He's certainly going to take Tom Blaine's reputation and try to build on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And he says about, you know, he being bitter after losing the election and, and uh, Vigilante takes off again on his bike and, uh, you know, well, he comes. Oh, go ahead. The bomb thrower, not not the sick, the 60s radical, not the uh, not yeah. the uh, the 20 year housing developer that's building the town. Yeah, of course, it's not going to be him right there. Also, all those uh, developers and polit- politicians are such squeaky clean types. <laughs> oh, man. But I love this next scene here. What about this one where Vigilante's going down the street and sees the. Uh, concert uh poster what about that i love that oh well this is the other great thing about small towns if you're going to get a concert that's going to be the biggest thing that ever happened uh i remember the one town that where i grew up in 1974 uh teenage tanya tucker cut the ribbon to our radio station wow and concert and 1987 she came back of course as a as a full-blown country star and did another concert, and I'll tell you, if you don't want to make an explosion in Tabor, Alberta that night, that would have been the night, because everybody was in the rodeo arena watching Tanya Tucker that night. That Nobody was outside. So, yeah, definitely, yeah. you know, you, ha- you have a concert, and, uh, you know, that country music is going to be the, the popular thing. Well, it just so happens that uh, Greg Sanders happens to be... Uh, find something that he can jump in on the bill on and he must still have a bit of a reputation because all he has to do is get on the phone and call his agent and suddenly he's on the bill i know i love it too and i looked at the concert poster and i thought to myself is this really somebody because there's a name that you can clearly read on and i thought is this somebody that was a country music star from years ago that i don't know about and so i looked that name up and it's like, no, it wasn't. But there is some guy by that name that plays country music in St. Louis, Missouri, which I found to be kind of hilarious. <laughs> oh, okay. I know. <laughs> that one, the local hero. Yeah, I read about it. And I'm just like, what? That is crazy. Like, what's the coincidence? That is a really weird coincidence. But I also love how Vigilante, uh, <clears throat> how he uses a, a certain uh, thing to uh, switch from his Vigilante outfit to his... Uh, Normal, everyday Greg Saunders uh, uh, guys. So how does he pull that off? <laughs> he just throws that oversized buckskin shirt on, and uh, <laughs> all you have to do is take the bandana off. And, like, mm-hmm. who, who is this masked man? Mm-hmm. And I love how he uses a phone booth to do it, too. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> well, considering the Superman and Lois I just saw the other night, spoilers, where Superman reveals to Lana, and I'm just sitting there going, Lana? You're as dumb as Lois. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't realize. This guy He's your best friend, and, and he has to rise above the ground for you to figure this out. Mm, uh, and here's a good one, too. So I love how you know we saw that concert poster, but then also now there's a new one right outside, and it has special guest Greg Saunders as well. So that's pretty cool. I like that. The two girls are like, oh, no, it's a girl and a guy are like, whoa, all right. He's here in Clearwater. Like, he's a big deal. And then we get to the concert, which is a neat little scene. Yeah, the print shop got an extra, got a quick run on here. <laughs> yeah, how about it? But uh, this is yeah, bug abuse when we get into Greg on stage. I think the hardest thing to do for a writer and to try to convey is to try to write lines for a song, and for it to make any damn sense in the. St- story when you can't obviously can't when you don't know musical notation all you're doing is drawing a note here and there mm-hmm. and I, yeah, I tried this morning to try to sing this song and make it it is absolutely <laughs> walking back from Dakota with the locket by my side but when I heard she left I laid right down and cried <laughs> several times because there's syllables missing it's not a perfect rhyme I know, and I looked it up, too, because I thought, I'm going to Google this. Maybe this is some crazy song I've never heard of, and nope, nothing on that either. <laughs> I, 
I often see this. One of the things I always remember, I, I don't know if you've ever read the old uh, Captain Marvels from when Roy Thomas and Jill Kane or Gil Kane were uh, drawing that. And uh, Rick Jones and Captain Marvel were kind of uh, sharing a symbiotic sort of a Billy oh, Batson yeah. thing. Yeah. He had to bash the rings. Anyway, Rick Jones decided he wanted to be a folk singer. <laughs> and uh, God, it was so awful <laughs> to try to get through those pages where where Roy was trying to write, you know, lines and, and have yeah. <laughs> you you don't have this music in your head, you know. So the these these writers might as well just turn on the radio and copy a song, please mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. At least people will have that in their heads. If you if you don't know how to write a song and don't know how to make it make sense, especially when you know country music has a re- reputation for being hokey and corny anyway, this just made it hokier and cornier. <laughs> yeah, like you said, and I mean I don't know about this comic 1977, but definitely when Roy and Gil Kane were doing Captain Marvel, you pro- you probably could have lifted something right from a song from the radio and not gotten any flack about it like it would have flew right through that comic and nobody would have tried to sue or anything oh i could have thought of 50 songs you could have lifted from my local country radio station <laughs> put on there and nobody would have ever batted an eye <laughs> yeah so that's pretty good i like that little scene that's a neat little interlude there amongst this you know uh crazy comic with you know explosions and bombs and intrigue and this and that there's this nice little quiet moment i mean it's literally only what three panels on one page and one on another page where it's, you know, showing the whole, you know, concert itself. I, I do like that when all, I like that when all comics do that, you know, it'll be, even if it's a, a crazy action superhero story, but it'll have a, a moment of something like this. I, I do enjoy that. You know, there's that old line about uh, from the blues brothers, what kind of music do you have around here? We have country and Western. Well, Greg is bringing the Western into it. There seems to be a little bit more respect for the Western side, the cowboy side of music than there is for, say, the, you know, the crying, uh, whining uh, George Jones type of music, that kind of thing. I'm going to get in trouble with the uh, George Jones fan. (laughs) His fan club's coming after you. (laughs) you um, We had a cowboy singer that my dad grew up with here named Wilf Carter, and you knew him in the United States as Montana Slim because nobody knew where Alberta was. They called him Montana Slim. But at any rate, I could remember about 1980, I got to meet him at a small concert just like this, and he was a very, very old man that got to shake his hand. And to this day, people still remember Wilf Carter, and he's long since gone. He's from the Roy Rogers, Gene Autry era. So there was a real respect for these cowboy-type singers when they came to town. Well, that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Anytime you get to meet somebody, that's, that's a really cool thing. But, uh, yeah, so the, the concert ends, and we get Vigilante. He hops back on his motorcycle because, of course, now he's got even less time to figure out what's going on. Oh, know. I just something. Oh. Look, Jeremy Drake here on stage. He's got a very familiar face. Are you familiar with Claude Akins? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. He looks like Claude Akins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he kind of does. Absolutely. On the left there, you mean, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> he does. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> yeah, that's pretty cool, but... Yeah, Vigilante heads out, and uh, he heads over because he knows Friday night was the deal that they were going to set off the, you know, dynamite. And what does he say? The one, uh, the one bad guy here, villain, says everybody's at the concert. And uh, Piper here, Boss Hog, says, "Don't worry, we'll make such a big bang. They'll hear it." And I like how Vigilante's watching it in shadow. There, I really like that uh, art choice there by them. That's pretty neat. Yeah. But that's that's pretty good. Uh, you know, some of the art is a little sketchy in this. It's very rushed. Yeah. But I think that's a very good technique. That's almost a Mexican technique. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Well, you're saying you know, some of the things being a little sketchy when Vidge hopped back on the motorcycle after the concert to uh, come find Piper and his boys, his motorcycle, everything about it looks good, except the headlight. It looks like a five-year-old drew it. I don't know if that was a, a choice or, but it looks like something I would have drawn when I was a kid, you know, a little kid. Like, like why did they uh, draw a proper headlight? <laughs> it's like John Calden's kid got the spirograph out while dad was in the bathroom or something. 
Yeah, I was like looking at that. I'm like, what? Because everything else to me is pretty passable, if not decent. But that just struck me as what happened there? Like, that looks crazy bad. Like, I don't know. But it uh, might be catch the dust on the light, but it, it doesn't really work. Yeah, no. But and then we get vigilante. He says, you know, he uh, shouts down to them and says, still trying to hang a frame on Sheriff Blaine. And and they're like, oh, oh vigilante. And uh, the, the minion here tries to grab a, a rifle. But vigilante in that panel i do like that one when he is his two six shooters out he's blam blam and he shot the guy right in the arm and <laughs> he shot joe and then piper what does he say to piper and i'm plum hate to shoot you next and piper's all pissed off and he says you won't have to and he grabs a stick of dynamite and vigilante's thinking to himself his henchman was standing away from the explosive i could risk a shot but piper's right on top of the stuff and piper lights uses his cigar to light one of the sticks of dynamite and just Piper, blows himself up. Piper's got an emotional problem. All of a sudden, you know, this man, you know, who's, you know, he's 20 years sheriff and a developer and everything else. And all of a sudden he seems to, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to take myself out. You know, I don't think we have ever had any ideas, you know, that he was this desperate of a guy. He, he, he was greedy no. and he was, you know, vindictive, but all of a sudden now he's suicidal. And when he hits the cigar, as I said, I know a little bit about explosive. I've lit a lot of these fuses. That's a, that's what they call a Chinese firework fuse. And normally you would, you put a blasting cap on dynamite rather than this fuse. Yeah. That's kind of a TV thing. <laughs> a Hollywood type thing. Yeah. But at any rate, it works. And uh, that's one inch a second. That's crazy, yeah. Be long there to change his mind. And <laughs> I have lit four second fuses. It, it just so I could get back a little bit of a ways. And four seconds can actually be a long time. He he doesn't even have a second with this. <laughs> yeah, what does he say? I'm finished, washed up, but I'm taking you to hell with me. And like you said, he lights a fuse that's a pretty short fuse. And vigilante says, he's gone loco. Got to get out of here pronto. That church steeple, my only chance. And he gets his lasso out whoosh, right around the church steeple. And as he jumps off and starts swinging away, kawoom, this huge explosion. And there's debris flying pretty close to Vigilante there. Almost hits him. That's a complete Neskin move. Um, Vigilante would always swing off something to get out of the way. And uh, you always know where he's going. Now, he, he, he's very good at roping that steeple. I don't think Batman could do that. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Let's face it. This is, this is his superpower. It's like the old story, who's faster, Superman or the Flash? Well, the Flash is, of course, because that's what he does. Mm -hmm. So who's a better roper? Well, it's always going to be the vigilante, and he's always going to be good at it because that is what he does. It's just the same way why he was able to wing a guy in the arm in the last page. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he didn't blow his head off. He just winged him in the arm and made him drop us, which is always a very TV kind of a thing. Very mm -hmm. TV, boy, you know. Yeah. Pistols are good, but you're not that good. But this is comics, and you expect to be better than what you would see in reality. Roping is a very difficult thing. Uh, roping a stationary thing isn't terrible. Uh, but I'll tell you, I've tried to teach small kids how to rope, you know, up a fake uh, plywood steer and it, it's interesting to watch them. You can just go on and on and on and about, uh, it'll take maybe one kid about 10 minutes to try to learn that. Now in wow. road, you do that off a moving target to another moving target from a horse down to a calf. So you really, that's a real interesting bit of talent. And there's people that can do that in matters of seconds. Mm -hmm. That's an event. Yeah, that's wild. But uh, he's got years of doing this. Let's face it. He spent, uh, you know, 40 years being time tossed. If this is the Earth 2 Vigilante or the Earth 1, who knows? But. <laughs> yeah, you never know. All right. Um, I love how they, I mean, like you said, it's only an eight page story. So they got to get into it quick and do what they're going to do. And then they got to wrap it up quick, too. So literally after Vig uh, swings away and the explosion happens, you just get two more panels that say then. And uh, the sheriff comes running in. He said, is that what I reckon it is? And Vidge is like, yep, Piper took the hard way out. 
And he said, I'll be moseying on, son. Hasta la vista. My job's done. And literally, he just hops on his bike and takes off. And, uh, you know, as the, the sheriff's waving goodbye there, he says, besides Greg Saunders' promise, or I'm sorry, Vidya saying, besides Greg Saunders' promise to town another song, as soon as the excitement's died down, that is. And then uh, you get a little shot of him at the very, very bottom of the page. And it says, for the vigilante, the excitement never dies down. See you next issue, hombres. So pretty good. So what'd you think of this one overall? Well, he can't ride into the sunset, so he's going to ride into the stadium like glow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As you could probably guess, I've read all of the stories in this world's finest run. This is the weak sister of it. Uh, both in art and story. The, the, I don't know if you have plans to cover the rest of them, but they get much better. Okay. Uh, having said that, this is a very basic story. Um, this is sort of the plot of a episode of Canon, or just about or McLeod, or just about any 1970s TV detective. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You know, the bad guy goes out and plays a glory, and we don't have to worry about being back and to catch up with him on uh, 30 seasons of law and order mm-hmm. yep the trial yeah, it's done yeah i mean i one of the reasons i picked this one was because i have this single issue that i bought i don't know how long ago i bought it but i've had this one for a little while and i love the entire comic like i said uh, all the stories in it from start to finish but this is the only one i have like right from that specific little window and they don't have some of these on the app, which is kind of sad, you know, because I do have the DC app and I love it. And I would I want to keep it for, you know, as long as they, you know, you know, have it around at a decent price. I'm always going to get it because they're, they're always going to have so much on there that I don't own. But they do have some really big gaps in some of the titles they have on there. And this little bit of an error here is a gap on the app that, you know, it's kind of sad. I wish they had more of them because these dollar comics for DC, man. You know, some of them are going for a really good buck. Like if you try to go to eBay or somewhere like that, they're they're expensive. You know, a dollar in 1977 was a lot of money for me to put out. Mm-hmm. But these solid stories. And I, I knew my even then I kind of knew my comics history really good that in the 1940s, you'd get this same comic for 10 cents. And um, I also went through super yeah. spectacular eras when you'd have a one new story and the rest were reprints which was fine because that's how i learned my comic book history but the dollar comics was all new material mm-hmm. not a print and it was a thick comic and like you said you know they, they had their a games on here these are not disposable comics like i said we got lopez praise be his name uh we got nasser and we got dennis o'neill as the editor and Neil mm-hmm. Adams cover. What more can you? How much better can you get in 1977? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it's start to finish, man. It's really a great comic, and like I said, I really enjoyed this story, even if it's not super strong in comparison to some of the other ones. I thought for you know an eight page little story here and Vigilante, I really liked this one, and it kind of got me you know to know a little more of the ins and outs about the character because there are some things you can you know, see in this comic that you can count on seeing in some of his other stories as well. But like I said, yeah, I really was intrigued how, you know, they tried to tell a good solid story, but it also reminded you a little bit of a golden age story, but with some more modern sensibilities, you know, sprinkled in. I enjoyed that quite a bit about this. I thought it was well-crafted. If you go to the text page and uh, they don't have any letters in here, but they just uh, are just kind of explaining how the dollar co- format comic is going to work. Uh, just an excerpt. Uh, I assume this is Denny O'Neill writing. Uh, The Vigilante hasn't appeared in a new solo story of his own since Adventure Comics 426. That's far too long a time. We're hoping that the inclusion of this unique character will add another dimension to an already exciting magazine. And I think that is the the catch word there, adding another dimension. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's a DC for a lot of years and they've gone far away from that now but having a war comic having a ghost comic having a, a comic about d- demons having jack kirby's fourth world and over here is still your blue chip superman stories and over here is your 
your different variations of, of Batman, whatever you want. You want grim and dirty Batman, here he is over here. If you want smiling, laughing Batman, well, here he is over in Super Friends. And I think that's what uh, DC is really missing, is its variety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I And books like this were great because, like you said, you know, you can use Superman and Batman to sell the book and they're front and center on the cover. But then, you know, if you're a kid and you buy this comic, you're not just going to read their story. You're going to read the whole book and you're going to get, you know, like I said, Black Canary and Green Arrow and Vigilante and some of these other comics uh, characters. And in, even in this case, two creators that, you know, otherwise might not, you know, have any uh, have any uh, voice out there. You know what I mean? Like this. I'm glad they do oversized stuff like this. And they used to the to spotlight some other characters and creators. I really enjoy that. And they're really using this and the Wonder Woman book to try to sell the Linda Carter series and try to get people who may be uh, wondering what, you know, what is beyond that TV series to come over. And by, by making sure that they are setting it in the same era that the TV series is, they're not confusing people that are coming over. And of course, mm-hmm. when the TV series changes its focus, well, they'll change back. But uh, yeah. I thought it was a very good editorial, you know, choice. And let's face it, uh, DC for a lot of years didn't know what to do with Wonder Woman anyway. So you might as well try to experiment. Yeah, absolutely. And I do like how there's a page too, uh, right before the Wonder Woman story, there's a page where we see, uh, you know, basically a preview for uh, the next issue of World's Finest. And, you know, Vigilante's there again. And it says, uh, why is a group of paramilitary thugs determined to destroy a whole town and the vigilante? And it's a pretty neat advertisement. Like, it's got, like, five panels. And, you know, they're all, like, Superman, Batman. And uh, it looks like Martian Manhunter up top there. And then Wonder Woman. And then three other panels below. I really like that, too. That's a great advertisement. There's, you know, Vigilante again. Now, and to entice you to get the rest of the run... The Vigilante stories on 245 through to 247 are going to be drawn by Gray Morrow. Hmm. Wow, that's nice. Okay, yeah, he's good. Still here. Get out there, Billy. Go get them. <laughs> I'm going to have to search him out. I mean, hey, I, mean, I, I still do hit some comic shops now and again, so I'll have to look for uh, some bins, do some bin diving and look for those. <laughs> well, if you decide to do the Plague Makers from 245, call me again because we're going to have lots to talk about. Mm, oh, I definitely will. Yeah. Hey, yeah. oh, yeah. If there's ever any vigilante, there's no way I could not call you. Let's be honest here. Let's, uh, yeah. You are the vigilante presence on <laughs> uh, the podcasting <laughs> universe. So well, anybody's not you. calling you. Thank you. There, <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, transition now into uh, your show. So, you know, Prairie Justice. So, what? Do you have any plans for in the future here? I mean, by the time people hear this recording, I'm sure they'll hear a couple more episodes from where you're at right now. But uh, what else do you have going on? Are you going to keep going, keep going rolling through the golden age like indexing and go through all the appearances in order? I'm going to stick with the index situation through Action Comics because I've got a lot to do. The man was there till 1954, good Lord. And I'm still mm. in 42. Wow. Uh, Plus, I'm also um, taking time out to do the Seven Soldiers of Victories, which he was uh, very much a solid member of. That means I'm doing, at least in the leading comics issues that he does in, I'm also doing chapters on Green Arrow and Speedy, uh, Shining Knight, uh, Crimson Avenger, and Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy. So those ones almost kill me. (laughs) I'm always sometimes somewhat flat. And I do them all as uh, as separate chapters. Uh, mm-hmm. When I did my first one, it came out to about three and a half hours. And I said, never again. I said, I, I can't do that to people or to myself. Um, I, and I guess I just do anything that happens to come along. If somebody happens to see Vigilante somewhere in the new comics, good Lord, let me know because I'm not reading them. Uh, who can who can afford to read those comics uh, these days but if you do see him let me know and i will look into that and try to jump ahead and do a special bonus um thanks to a couple of podcasters who shall remain nameless earth 2 podcast uh i have <laughs> finally gotten a hold of the vigilante serial from 1947 mm. he 
course, as we know, was Vigilante is one of the first characters to actually make it to the silver screen, even ahead of Superman in live action. Mm-hmm. Uh, so had his own serial in 1947. I was planning on leaving that alone until I get to 1947 up in that year, because that's a very busy year for Vig. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be past the seven soldiers of victory. So I think I'll just keep plugging away the way I'm doing in the index situation. Like I said, unless something else comes along um, and there are somebody like yourself wants to cover Gray Morrow, yeah. I'm there. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to be on the lookout for that, you know, the rest of those. And then like you even were saying about the adventure comics, you know, the backups there, too. I'm going to definitely check those out because I like this character quite a bit. But uh, all right. So if anybody's looking for you out there on the interwebs, you know, where can they find you other than obviously, you know, podcatcher, you know, searching for Prairie Justice. But where else can they find you? I'm on Facebook and Twitter under those names. I'm also on Facebook as Ranger Gord. Um, you Obviously, I have more interests than uh, than just vigilante. If you want to friend me up over there, I'm also into history and uh, Canadian politics from time to time, though I'm trying to stay out of that. It's getting Trumpy as well. Mm. Uh, and uh, you can also uh, read some of my history uh, stuff on Ranger Gord's Roundup, which is my uh, WordPress blog. And I also have uh, several published books out as well uh, on Western history. Uh, my latest one being Healy's West, The Life and Times of John J. Healy, which is uh, the life and times of a, a frontier character who was a trader in my era, er, area, I should say, of southern Alberta, but also a sheriff in Montana and later on a uh, a merchant prince in the Klondike Gold Rush and also in Washington State. So that's a very inter- interesting book. And so those are all on Amazon.com or awesome. CA, as a, as, a, as a case may be. <laughs> yeah, depending on where you're at. But yeah, so yeah, everybody definitely go uh, look uh, Ranger Gord up, follow you because you have your uh, own uh, Twitter account and then you have one for the show as well, correct? That's correct. Yeah, definitely look those two up and keep up with the show. And, you know, I love when I get to talk to new guests and especially when it's a guest that has a love, a passion and knowledge for something that I don't know much about. So then not only can I learn about it and really get excited about them, you know, being excited about a character or a book or whatever that. And then some of the listeners, too, because I feel like that always happens. You know, I've had people say to me, like, oh, hi, I heard you talk to so-and-so, and I don't know much about that character. And I'm like, oh, great. See, that's what I definitely want to do. I love talking about the stuff that I love and have read, but I also love having guests on, too, that, you know, have a, a love and admiration and knowledge about other characters and books and stuff like that, too. Because it's always fun to have those guests on the show, and that was definitely the uh, the case today. Well, I guess I'll just end this with, uh, as Vigilante says in this story, I'll be moseying on, son. Hasta la vista. My job's done. (laughs) Awesome. So, all right. Well, thank you again, Ranger Gord, for being on the show. And then I'm going to jump out here quick and play a quick promo, and then I'll be back to wrap up the show. You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast is an exploration of the DC Comics character, the first superhero to use the name of the Vigilante. First published in Action Comics 42 in September 1941, amid Comics' golden age and carried as a continuous feature, during those years the Vigilante was also a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory, and was one of the first DC heroes to appear on the cinema screen in his own serial. Reappearing in the Bronze Age, the Vigilante had a 1970s renaissance throughout the DC Universe. Greg Saunders, the Prairie Troubadour, leads a double life as a modern country and western musician while also delivering justice throughout North America as a masked crime fighter, using the tactics and weapons of his rural Wyoming upbringing with his friends Billy Gunn and Stuff Leong. Many a nefarious scheme was foiled with six guns, ingenuity, a motorcycle and a twirling lariat. Howdy, I'm Ranger Gord. Help me follow the trail of the Vigilante on Podbean, Apple Podcasts and Google Play.
Okay, everybody, that wraps up episode 43. Uh, once again, I want to thank Ranger Gord for being on the show. Uh, great guest, great, you know, really great guy. Uh, definitely check out his uh, podcast, you know. Uh, not many podcasts out there do what he does and it really takes a lot of time and effort on his part to put those kind of shows out you know i mean they're almost like audio dramas it's really cool so definitely check that out you know i'll have his promo playing in the show here but you know give a listen he's a real good guy and he's definitely going to be back on the show and maybe one of the other shows as well he's got a lot going on this summer so by the time you hear this it's probably going to be a little bit before you hear him again but i will have him back on for sure because once again great guest great guy so everybody tune in and uh thanks for listening as usual see ya